So today, Pastor Jim, Pastor Phyllis are in the hot seat. We're excited to have you guys answer all of those questions. Um, But before we do that, I do want to just give an opportunity um, to Pastor Phyllis, specifically, um, because... Over the past few weeks, Pastor Jim has been preaching and sharing. He gets the stage um, and the ability to share all of the time. And there's a specific story that I'm sure some people are wondering about. And Pastor Phyllis, I wanted to give you the opportunity to set the record straight. Tell us about how you attacked me in the the hot tub story. I'm like, can we just clarify this once and for all? Well, the truth, yes, I know, right? So the truth is, is I have had my mind set that I, I am going to defend, I am going to say my piece. And then, I, yeah, I, I was like, okay. So after I processed it a little bit, I was thinking, there is probably some truth to that story, I have to admit. Yes, I know, right? I like this whole time. But let me just say that, I mean, the deal is I didn't attack him. So there is some, you know, I mean, some exaggeration there. I did not attack him. I moved over closer to him and I probably initiated the kiss because we, at the time, we had previously uh, been intimate in other relationships. And then whenever we decided to get married, you know, we were trying to do it right and we were not gonna kiss until we got married. So that was the deal. And so then I moved closer to him and probably initiated. However, though, I want to say, I thought it was safe. I mean, he was a good guy. Like I thought I was safe and he was gonna tell me no. Beautiful hobby. And then he he never told me no. And I was like, you're supposed to say (laughs) no. no. So you've been telling the story and there's something very key to the story. Okay, so the other thing, the part of the story that he does not tell as he blames it all on me is that his granny lived two hours away and he told me to pack my bathing suit. So this that's was not like, like something that, that he didn't, that's he the moment. knew. He had planned, he set me up. It was a setup. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was a setup. Like we, he drove two hours, told me to pack my bathing suit. And that's, you know, so Note he's not yourself, completely. Don't get in a hot tub if you're trying to stay pure until you get married <laughs> with the girl of your dreams. That's, that's great. Right. Well, yes. there we go. So. Record is set Record. straight. Yes, that is the truth right yes. there. We wanted yeah. to let you <laughs> let you <laughs> share. Wanted to make sure it was fair. Well, it's so good. We have so many great questions here today, and um, so little time is what it feels like. But we're going to try to get through as many right. as we possibly can. Um, and so I'm going to just start with an easy question, and then there are some great questions that that the congregation has asked that are a little bit more, you know, in depth, and we'll dive a little bit deeper. Um, but the first one that I thought is great, um, and and it was asked. We've asked this a couple of times. Is what it's something that you guys do to have fun. And I'd also rephrase that as, what do you guys do in this season? You've been married for 22 years, 22, 22 years, four I'm kids, a dog. Years, there was a kids. bunny somewhere yeah. during this season. It. Yes. <laughs> what do you guys do to prioritize yourself, each other? How do you guys keep you guys first in your relationship? That's a great question. You know, because even when you asked about the fun earlier, you know, we answered Phyllis loves anything outdoors, the beach. I love anything indoors, movies, food, you know, any of the that I love. But I think the, the, the great part about that is the prioritizing the relationship. And one of the things that we've learned is to really force ourselves to have that date night. That's good. Something that we're doing every week 
we, we get somebody to watch the kids, but we fight for that date night where her and I get to spend some alone quality time. And in certain seasons, it's been harder. I mean, right. there's been times where we hadn't been perfect on it. But I will tell you, the better we are with the consistency of our date night, the healthier our marriage and our relationship is. And then we tend to try to just rotate what we do for fun. I'll go to the same restaurant, order the same thing, and be just as happy as a lark because I know it is good. I don't go out to eat that much. I know it's good. That's what I he want. He doesn't want to spend money on bad food. He's I like, hate I spending money on bad food. Come on, somebody. He wants to spend, no now, her, she wants to go to every taco stand. She wants to try all the dishes. New, anywhere we haven't been before. And so yeah. we, so here's what we do is we, we try to rotate. So she'll, okay, let's go to the beach tonight. Let's, you know, let's mm-hmm. go to the, she loves the pool, anything like that. And then sometimes I'm like, hey, let's just, tonight, can we just veg? I just want to go watch a, a, a movie. Come on, somebody. Yes. And uh, so that's where we try to differentiate and then meet each other's need in what it is that recharges that person. I tend to withdraw. I'm around people a lot, so I tend to withdraw is how I get recharged. She'll be around people, and she's like, Partied all night. More she's ready people, to party again. Yeah. She's full. She's like, come on, somebody. The party just travels with her. And, uh, <laughs> and I think recognizing it and then being okay with it. Saying, look, I don't recharge like you. And then there's been, what we've had to learn too. Sometimes I would have the pressure of, hey, you got to go with me to the beach. You got to go. And we just learned, look, take some girlfriends, go out. Yeah. You know, go have fun. And sometimes she'll take the kids. And that fills her cup. Um, and it's okay that I don't do every single thing all the time with her. And so, mm-hmm. yes, we both like sushi. So right we now our favorite kick is we love Japanese. on our date night to go to Japanera's. Yeah. We love sushi. So yeah, that's good. It's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think earlier you guys talked about, um, even a hundred percent and how, how a relationship is a hundred percent of both of you. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about like withdrawals and deposits and how you invest in your marriage and your relationship on a consistent basis? Yes, um, I think the question, the question was some of the, what is some of the, you know, greatest marriage advice that you have gotten? And so I think it was before we had even gotten married, the pastor who we grew up under that married us, Pastor Clark, the, one of the things that he told us when we were sitting in his office is he looked at Jim and he said, Jim, he said, the deal is, is you're going to always feel like you're giving 100%. And he said, Jim, you're going to always feel like you're giving 100%. And he looked at me and he said, Phyllis, you're going to always feel like you're giving 100%. And so I, I just, I can't tell you how many times throughout the marriage I've thought, you know, it's easy to just think I'm the only one giving because you're giving everything you got. And so if you're giving everything you got, you think there's no way that they're giving as much as you are. But the truth is they're also giving everything they got a lot of the times, but you're just not recognizing it because you're just only recognizing your own sacrifice. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I just, I can't tell you how many times, like over the course of the years that that has stuck with me and I've thought about that. So it was good. Oh, it's great advice. And that's the only way to make a marriage work. If you think it's 50, yeah, 50, you're going into it with the wrong mentality. Yeah. It is always a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then you just, you fight for the marriage, which is in the middle. So that's what we're always fighting for. We never fight against each other. Now, there were times in our marriage we'd fight against each other because the enemy have you believe, oh, well, she doesn't care, he doesn't care. But if you're constantly fighting for the marriage, which is the health of the marriage in the middle, it's like, hey, we're on the same team, and we're going to give 100% to produce something that honors God and then fills our cup the way God wants us to have our cup filled. Also, here's one of the philosophies that will help you. um, Give first give more and give often. So in a marriage, you really work. It's, it's, it's really interesting how people have a mentality. I'll, I'll give when they give. Mm. 
Like, okay, I'll, I'll let him have sex, you know, when he talks. You know, so what are you saying? You're saying, meet my need, and then I'll, then I'll meet your need. But, but there's such a biblical principle. It's the law of reciprocity. You reap what you sow. And that when you give good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it's, it's amazing how the real model of marriage in God's eyes is to build us up to be like Jesus, to be the one to give first. Okay, how can I give? I don't feel like it. Well, there's a lot of times you're not going to feel like it. We don't live based on feelings. We like feelings. We live based on choice. So I choose to give first. And then it went, I'm going to give more, which is what Phyllis is talking about. If you just give what you feel like they're giving, then you're going to give less. But remember this, you judge people based on their actions, but you judge yourself based on your intentions. So it's easy for my intentions to feel like, well, I know I'm giving, but I don't see it. Well, you don't know the behind the scenes for them. You don't know that in this season they are giving all they've got. And so we give first, we give more, and then we give often. It's a frequency. Remember this, you only reap what you sow. Some of you are trying to reap a harvest in a field you hadn't sowed in. Wow, that's good. You want a better marriage, but mm. when's the last time you've been sowing seeds for a better marriage? When's the last time you've given praise? See, we've been, we've been taking and harvesting, but not replanting and re-sowing. And so give first, give more, give often. That's great. You know, you were talking about not fighting against each other, but fighting for your marriage. And so before, I have a couple questions that I'd love to ask for all of our single and dating, um, those that are in this congregation. But I do want to just see if you guys maybe have one tip or one tool each for how to fight fair. You know, I think that's so important when you say we're not fighting against each other, but we're fighting for our marriage. So I thought, you know, that might be a good place to give some advice. I don't advice. know what that look was for. She gave me like... Oh, oh my <laughs> Yeah. I'm just curious what you're going to say. <laughs> I, that's a good that's I a, think when words are many or not many or when words are few sin is absent I think a lot of fighting fair is just being very intentional with what you say how you say it and the way it's, it's perceived so one of the things that I have to for me if we're going to have a productive conversation I cannot be escalated and what that means is on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like mm -hmm. you said something, did something, and I am like off the charts mad. Five is you still can't really see straight. You know, you shouldn't be five and six. You should be at a one or two. And if I'm not at a one or two, then at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to fight fair because what's happened is I'm fighting from triggers. I've been triggered by the trauma of my past. It's not even, remember this, when you, when you and your spouse get in a fight and you're the one that's frustrated, can I tell you, you're the problem? Wow, that's good. I know nobody gave me an amen right there. That's okay. <laughs> that's what nine years of counseling will do. You know, Randy will say, Jim, you're the problem. Yeah, but she made me mad. He's like, nobody can make you mad. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you frustrated. So what happened was she said or did something, but I have trauma from the past where it was triggered, and I blame it on her. But she didn't create the trauma of the past. Maybe she did, but it's still not her fault. I still have to deal with it and work through it. And so recognizing the moment I'm triggered, whoa, 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 whoa. I always try, I don't always do it, but I always try to introspect, okay, reflect in, you know, inside of me and say, why did, I, why did I feel that? I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said something years ago, well, of course it was years ago, but I, I read it years ago. She said, no one can make you feel disrespected. No one can disrespect you. 
You know, because so many, we live in a day where it's like you disrespect. No, no, respect and honor is from within me. I know my value. You can't dishonor me and devalue me. You can do disrespectful things, but it's not going to cheapen my value. It's not going to cheapen my self-worth because I know who I am. And I think the healthier we are in a marriage, the easier it is for us to fight fair. The problem is we fight from one trauma trigger to the next trauma trigger to the next, and we never bring any resolution because we're constantly escalated. Yeah, that's good. I was I would just add to that about fighting fair is realizing that there's two perspectives and the truth is in the middle. So it's kind of like, you know, I think pastors even shared this before the number six, you know, on a piece of paper, if you were to write that down and set it in between us and you asked me what it was, I would say a six. If you asked him what it was, he would say a nine. And he says, who's wrong? Who's wrong? We're neither one of us. Who's right? We're both right. It's, it's a six to me and it's a nine to him. And, and that is very key as well is because I even use that with my kids because it, if you're going to fight fair, you have to, I feel like one of the biggest things is, is being able to listen, you know, and listen to their perspective and know that the truth is in the middle, you know? So yes, your perspective is correct, but coming from them, their perspective is correct. And so, um, and then the other thing is, is that I felt like that I thought was really kind of like a, I don't know, epiphany to me is, um, what did Randy say about the fact that you're not fighting for a resolution, basically? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, okay. Anyway, but basically I think because used to, I would, it's like I'm always fighting for, um, for like who's right or who's wrong, you know? And then, and that's not really the case. I think it was like, who's right, who's wrong. And I don't think I realized like, that's really not what it's about. It's about hearing each other's perspectives and being able to move past it, whether you reach a resolution or not. And I don't think I had that mindset because it's like, it never got resolved. Like it never got resolved. And so what I was saying is that there wasn't an answer of who's right or wrong, but so many times that's not what it's about. You don't have a resolution. And I thought, wow, why didn't anybody tell me that in the beginning? <laughs> like 20 years ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that is a it's mind a big, shift for me. I don't know, yeah. but anyway. I always like to be so. right. Pray for my husband. Oh, and let, okay. let me just, I want to encourage you guys too, just so you guys know, Phyllis and I are in counseling. We've been in counseling for nine years. Yeah. And, and I make that very public. I actually started to say that when it wasn't popular. Like, that, like I, I actually remember getting up and telling the church, we're in counseling. And I thought, we're probably going to lose people. But I always made a commitment that I was going to be honest and authentic and real. And if I will tell you about our story, that gives you permission to go and seek counseling. But there was a day where there was such a stigma. Oh, my God, you're in counseling. What is, you guys must really be jacked up. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? And here's what I want to encourage you with. Phyllis and I, last week, it was Thursday at 1 o'clock. We met with Randy. And at the end of the day, he's like, how are you doing? We're good. We're in a good spot. But we, we still meet with him every single week because it's really important for you to understand there is not a once, one-time fix-all. It's like every yeah. day things happen. It's good. And so what you're looking for are these minimal course corrections. See, when you you hadn't gotten counseling and you're not real healthy, you'll have these massive epiphanies where it's like, oh, my God, I learned this and it radically changed my life. Well, that's not really what Phyllis and I are having now. Now what we have is like this little, it's just a course correction. When you fly a plane, I don't know if you know this, but if you were to go from here to California, the entire time you're in the flight, the plane is constantly course correcting. Mm 
But if it just stayed on the original path, you'd end up in a whole different state. That 5% over a long period of time makes a massive difference. And what I'm concerned about is sometimes you go to counseling once, you're like, we're good. Yeah, no, no, no. Right. You just got to keep course correcting. And if you don't need yeah. counseling, it's that you're in a, you, the small group. You're connecting. Yeah. You're, you're, you're really discovering these things so that I'm a healthier person. And we just made a commitment. Look, I'm going to be the healthiest husband, father, person that I could possibly be so that you get a great, healthy pastor, that our family is not perfect, but we're going to model what it looks like to be open and honest and to constantly course correct our lives so that we can get to the end of our life and hear God say, well done, yeah. my good and faithful servant. So that's great. I love, I mean, I love counseling. That's good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> great leaders are great learners and, and yeah. a part of growing is, is always just learning and, and counseling is a great way to learn more about yourself, your triggers right. and, and all of yes. that. I think that's so good. Yes. And we always talk about, you know, I don't want to just survive. Like I don't want to get to the end of our life and be like, we survived. Right. Like I want to enjoy it and I want to be passionate and I want to have fun. And, so you know, good. I want to feel alive in my marriage. And yeah. so, you know, there's seasons where it's hard, where you're going through counseling, you're dealing with raw stuff and it's not as easy but there should just always be this goal where you're striving for that you know because it's like we I just say we like we want a great marriage not only just now but at the end you know I, and I want to have fun along the way yeah. you know so anyway really really good okay so let's switch gears let's talk a little bit about dating and relationships um, one person asked how will I know if I have found the right person or right spouse for me um, I think one of the things that I think is important um, is I think everybody should have people in their life um, that can tell them no. And so when it comes to relationships, I, I mean, it would be wonderful if those people were your parents, no matter how old you are, you know, because they're, 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 they are your God-given authority here on earth. But I do know that some people are not as close to their parents, broken relationships, things like that. But you might have other godly individuals, pastors, leaders, small group leaders, people that you know, family members, um, that can speak into your life because you know have you ever heard that saying love is blind so I mean love is blind right and so you I think people um, if you already have people in your life not just in relationships that you can go to them and say hey what do I do in this situation or hey I'm thinking about this transition or that life transition can you speak into it and if they say no even if maybe you want to move forward and you give them that authority it's not about putting your trust in man but it's about putting that trust in God. Like, God, I trust you that I'm going to submit to authority and give people the freedom to see things that I don't see. Um, and I think that applies to relationships as well. So. I think it's great. I, I would recommend getting whoever's your mentor, and it needs to be someone that loves God, has a relationship with God. Do it at the beginning. You know, we talked about it. One of the biggest challenges I've had is where someone says, hey, pastor, I want you to meet so-and-so. We're about to get engaged. I mean, what am I going to say then, right? You're already down the road. You're not really asking my advice. You're asking for my, my just blessing. And I, I think in a day and age, you need people around you that can sniff out the imposters. I just feel like there's a lot of guys and a lot of girls, they'll do anything to get you to that altar. And if, if they're not authentic, if it's not really genuine from inside of them, you're going to have problems. Like tying the knot, getting married, that doesn't end all the problems. That's where the commitment comes in. That's where when I need to know that who I married is the, is the real deal. 
and uh, just trusting people to really be able to say, hey, I, I don't think that person's the right person. The worst thing you could have is, man, I, I, I'd introduce them to my parents. My parents will hate them. <laughs> well, that's a massive like red, flag. red flag. Why would you ever date someone <laughs> who your parents would hate mm-hmm. if your parents want the best for you? You know what I'm saying? But then here's what happened. You end up marrying them. You know, and it's like now, it's like, man, I wish, well, you didn't bring people into the process before, and now you're going to struggle through the marriage now. You know, not that God can't redeem it and do all that. It's great. But just, you know, with our kids, we have been very vocal. We want to be involved from day one. Whatever relationship transpires, we want to be involved with it and and have the permission to speak into that. That's really, really great. Another person asked, is it okay for us to live together if we'll probably get married one day? No, <laughs> just no. We, we know that answer, and, and we hate to even have to say it, but the truth is, you know, and, and if you're living together now and you're just finding out the truth of God's word, here's all I say, just fix it, get married. Get married or, or move out and then do it right. You know, we've yeah. had people come to church and say, I feel convicted. They move out, mm-hmm. they date, they get yeah. married, they do it right. I believe God honors that. But here's what I would tell you. You can't test drive intimacy. We don't test drive it. Uh, the Song of Psalms, look at, put, it, put it up. There's this Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He says, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not awaken, to not awaken love before it's time and before it's right. And that's all that living together. I had a couple say, hey, we're going to live together, but we're not going to have sex. <laughs> I'm like, wow, bro, you're way better than me. I mean, I don't even know. That's like Superman stuff. I just, even if you told me you didn't, I wouldn't believe you. That's why the Bible says flee from the appearance of evil, right? It's like we've got yeah. to honor the marriage bed, you know, abstain. Look, First Thessalonians 5.22 says abstain from all appearance of evil. And as a believer, we just want to abstain from it and make sure we do it right. And, yep. and then here's, here's yeah, just, and don't believe the lie. The only way they're going to marry you is if they test drive intimacy. No, true love waits. And I'm telling you that for a fact. And here's what I told the other services, and I think it's important for you to know. If they don't have the discipline to fight for purity and to fight to do it right and the, and the tenacity to do it, how many know... You don't just develop discipline because you get married. If you don't develop that beforehand, you're going to fight for purity in your marriage. Just because you right. get married doesn't mean you, don't, you stop fighting for purity. Right. I mean, there's porn, there's affairs, there's all kinds of things that will try to come in and attack your marriage. But if you've done it right, you've been disciplining yourself. You're developing the character of, hey, we fight for the purity of this marriage. And uh, I want to be with someone that is willing to fight for it, even if she kisses me in a hot tub aggressively. (laughs) We're back to that. We still fought for it, though. Yes, yes. (laughs) Hey, and even speaking of, before that moment, she had an apartment. I would actually go over to her apartment, a little small one-bedroom, after we kiss in the hot tub, we'd now, we wouldn't even go into her apartment. We'd sit outside on the porch just because we were alone. And I just, I know myself, man, you know, <laughs> I'm fighting for purity. And I just, I just, this beautiful girl here, she attacks me again. It's over. But it was, it was really a beautiful thing because it, the struggle is there, but we were truly trying to fight for it. And to God be the glory, you know, we, we made it. I think the just to talk a little bit more about purity for students. And I think it's not just fighting for purity, maybe for students and and kids, but also for your adults and people who have maybe been divorced, you know, who are single dating. Why is it so important um, 
to fight for purity, you know, I think you talk about how there's a huge difference between religion and relationship and how love should drive us to obedience. And I'd love to hear, you know, you guys talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, purity is actually worship. We honor God with our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we stay pure, it's, it's a form of worship is not just raising your hands in a song service. Worship is the way you live your life. It's what you do. It's what you say. It's, it's the interactions that you have. And so as a believer, what happened was you said, Jesus, my life was a mess. I surrender it to you. I need you to save me. Because apart from Jesus, we were all dying and going to hell. And so we're dying, going to hell. We give our life to Jesus by surrendering our life to him. Well, now our act of worship is to live our life for him. And we do that through those pure relationships that we have. And so I said some of the first or second service, so many people are trying to fight against, um, you know, sexual immorality, pornography, all the temptation. What you got to be careful of is that you're not focused on the negative. You don't have to fight against sin. You just have to fall in love with Jesus. That's good. That's so good. Does that make sense? Because if you keep trying to fight sin, have you? Ever, it's like I said, push this button in the center, and it says, I say, don't touch it, don't push it. What are you going to do? You don't want to touch it. You don't want to push it. Well, that's what some of you are doing. Like, don't look at porn. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't have, No, no, no. Fall in love with Jesus. It's a love. That's right. It's a love issue, not a sin issue. Same thing with Phyllis. You know, we, we really have... Our marriage just continues to blossom, and we have had tough seasons. We're not in one now, and uh, it's amazing. It's, it's like you fall more in love. She is my best friend. We have discovered new things, and we're having more fun than ever before. Look, I don't care who comes up. I don't even care what you wear. You're not tempting me away from this hottie right here. I love Phyllis, and ain't none of you can take care of me like Phyllis. Like She knows the ins and outs of my life and my heart, and, and what I've learned is all I have to do is just keep watering this grass. Some of you think the grass is greener out there. No, it's green where yeah. I water it. I'm giving yes. first. I'm giving more. I'm giving often. And then this, this love is cultivated, which is where you end up at the end of your life. Where you can't even believe, how could I love you more, but I do. Yeah. How could I be more enthralled and more blessed? And no matter what we've been through, like where we're at, it's like, man, I just love you. I told my kids, Addison, they got to be careful. They picked up Phyllis's phone and get on her text. I'm like, girls, we that's flirt dangerous. On the phone. We flirt all the time on the phone. She's like, what did you say what did to you dad? Say? I said, get out of my text. Get out of my text. Alone. You better watch it. I said, leave me alone. Give me my phone back. But isn't that how it should be? <laughs> but here's the key. I'm not trying to say, well, don't have an affair. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, just, right. I just fall in love with this girl right here and yep. just give her more of my heart. And that's how we keep ourselves pure and holy before God. Yeah, and I really love this question. I think this kind of ties in um, really well to, you know, so for those marriages that maybe are in a rough patch, maybe you have a young couple, how, what advice would you give them if they're trying to mend a young marriage from, from maybe some hurt um, at the beginning of their marriage? Um, yeah, I would, you know, it's funny when I saw that earlier, it says, how do you mend a young marriage? 
that has had a bad foundation. But the truth is, I feel like that can really ring true at any stage in your marriage because you can hit a rough patch where you kind of are just, you feel like you're in a downward spiral a little bit. And I feel like it's a, a lot of the same. However, in the beginning, I think you don't have as much corn in the crib. And so, you know, things can be a little bit more scary, I feel like. Um, but I just think, for one, there has to be forgiveness. You know, I mean, that's number one. And I feel like because, and we forgive because God forgives us, right? I mean, we don't really, you know, we're asking God to forgive us of our sins and we accept that, but then yet we feel like we have the right to either forgive or not forgive. And that's tough. I mean, it's tough. In our human nature, that is sometimes very difficult. Um, and so, but I feel like they're also, I, I, one of the things that I have found is that you can work on your marriage or work on your relationship at different times. And, and sometimes that's helpful. Like sometimes it's helpful for me to be the crazy one and him to be the strong one, or then vice versa, you know, because you need each other. I feel like God designs it a little bit that way sometimes. But then on the flip side, I feel like sometimes you want to be working on it together, but you're, you're not. You feel like God's dealing with you. Okay, I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to be strong. And then he does something, you know, that you are not really, he just does something and responds wrongly. Um, and so you're like, well, he doesn't care. He's not appreciative of my whatever. And then vice versa. And so I think at some point you have to draw a line in the sand. And I think, you know, because I say that about other marriages, because I feel like Randy, the counselor we have now has really helped us. And he talked to us a little bit about building altars. And so what, because of the rough patch that we had been through, it was like, though we went automatically went to the negative. So if we were in an argument or we were trying to have fun or we were trying to, it's like you automatically, it's like these bad habits almost. And you fear those bad habits. Like we're just going to go there. And so he really helped us in the counseling, which was really good to celebrate. Like there were moments where he's like, do you realize what you just said? Do you realize what you just did? He goes, like, we just need to celebrate. And there were moments where he would not even counsel us. He would say, we're, I'm not going to talk about anything. We're not going to work through anything. Like, we are going to celebrate. We spent an hour celebrating. Each other. Each other. And I was like, hold up. I and, thought I'm paying your bill. He's like, no, no, no. We, ain't we are celebrating. Yes. We are celebrating. And would not move on for anything to work on because he said, we're building altars. altars. We're building new altars. Because new so memories. many times, you, you don't stop long right. enough to recognize and celebrate yourself or your spouse, right. you know, and so we just rush through it. And so I, I do feel like forgiveness is one, but communicating too, so that you can say, Hey, we're going to build new altars. We're going to celebrate where we've come from. We're going to draw a line in the sand. And this is what we're going to do moving forward so that you have a place to go back to. That's not the negative. Like this it. is what we're going to do now. You know, so. Well, and just a couple of practical things. You know, you need to pray together. You need to read the Bible together. Um, you need to do devotionals together. I would encourage you, um, if you're trying to rebuild a new foundation, come to church every week. You know, I, I am such a proponent of half the battle is just showing up. Yeah. You'd be amazed at how, how your marriage and your family would be if we would just be consistently so at church. Every week I'm in this place. God is speaking to me, to my family. Get involved in a small group. Find someone that can help mentor you in your marriage. And it really is about learning from other. I always want to learn from someone else. I don't need to go through it. You know, I'm smart enough to know I don't want to go through every pain in life. I want to learn from some other people's pain. Come on. 
Right. And so small groups, when they launch in September 11th, I just encourage you, if you're building a new foundation, get in a marriage small group yep. and really make that a priority. And so, uh, you, cause here's the truth. You have to, there's a, a transformation renewing your mind. It only comes when you're around new people, um, you're learning new things in the word and you're discovering for yourself. And there's so many resources. I mean, there's the family life uh, yep. weekend, weekend to remember conferences that yep. they usually hold them around Houston and things like that. Um, and then the marriage podcast, there's a married life today podcast. It's really, really good. I feel like Jimmy there was, Evans. yes, with, uh, well, which, which one no, you're Jimmy right. Evans. Jimmy Evans. Yes. Yeah. With Jimmy Evans. Um, so th I feel like there's just a lot of great resources. Oh, yeah. Great. So that's great. Well, as we wrap up today, I'd love to just hear, you know, allow you guys to just give some closing thoughts, anything that you love for the congregation to hear. And then of course we want you to pray over us. And, um, just as we continue to close this series on relationships. Um, I, I'll just go ahead and say, I said this, you know, in the previous services, because I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke it, you just really put it on my heart, um, is to, to share about self-care. And so at that question didn't necessarily pop up this service. Um, but I feel like as Gemini, as Pastor Gemini have grown in our marriage, uh, the one of the things that we've grown in is not just on how to, you know, fight fair or how to, how I can fix this better, but it's also the self-care and how to take care of myself better. And so I felt like even in the fight fair, one of the things that Randy um, has really, that I thought also was powerful is like self-validation. You know, saying like, I know I don't have to get triggered and I don't have to get upset because I know that it's not like I know I was right, but it's like, I know my heart was right. I know my heart was right. I know I'm a good wife. I don't have anything to prove. And so then I can come at him because I have validated myself, whether he agrees or not, you know, that I'm not looking for that validation from him. I know my heart. I know my God. And I'm good. And then I can come to him and say, okay, and relate to him on a different level than if I'm escalated because I'm trying to get him to agree with me or I'm trying to prove to him that I am right or my heart is right or my perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. That's so awesome. anyway. Yeah, probably my last thing to say, if I, if I have such a passion for our young people. You know, I just want to encourage us as a church and I want to speak to the young people um, I, we know you live in a different age. I mean, you've been exposed to things at such a young age that most people in this room would never even understand. And you're in a society that really there are no morals. It's whatever feels good, do it. You, if you're trying to be pure, are the odd man out. You're like this crazy breed. And people will say <laughs> you're irrelevant. People will say it doesn't matter. Right. And I just want you to know it does matter. And yeah. I want you to know that you're not irrelevant. And I want you to know that you got a church that loves you. And that your pastor loves you and these parents love you and these moms and dads and even young adults. Listen, we want to help you fight for purity. And when you make a mistake, you don't have to run away in shame. Look, ain't nobody here judging you. We're just proud that you're fighting for purity, that you're trying to do it different. And I want to encourage us to become coaches and advocates 
not adversaries, not people that make accusation like, oh my God, did you see? No, no, no. I want to coach my kids. And so one of the things that we find is that a lot of times parents, when they're teenagers, they will try to parent them out of season. You'll try to be an authoritarian. No, authoritarian was back there. Now as a teenager, as a parent, as adults, we're to be their coaches. Think about it. They're driving. Caden is driving. Carson and them are up at school. You can't tell them what to do. They're going to do whatever's inside of them. But what I can do, and this is what my, my, my greatest desire is, is that we would posture ourselves as coaches. You know, if you've ever played sports, and I know coach you down here on the front row, it's, I mean, you'd have a great relationship with your coach because it's not quite like your mom or your dad, but you could tell them things and they're cheering you on. And there comes a point in this church where I want you to know, young people, if you make a mistake, come to us. Let us help you build some accountability. Let's, yeah. Let us walk you through any consequences. You don't have to run away in shame from the church. You've got a church that loves you. And if there's consequences, here's what we're going to do. We're going to embrace you, yeah. and we're going to experience those consequences together and say, hey, we're going to figure this thing out. Yeah. And we're going to be a church that is tri-generational with the older generation, the middle generation, young generation, and we're all just fighting for purity. And if we make mistakes, it's like, hey, we're going to pick you back up, dust off your knees. Let's keep going. We're going to glorify God in our relationships. That's my passion. So. Yep.